The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Why do you need to have safety and security for your children and youth ministries? Anybody? Because we live in a fallen world. Because we live in a fallen world. That's number one. Because we love people. We trust people. They're not gonna. Ha- it's not gonna happen at our church. That's right. But at North Carolina Baptist, we have decided that's why we're going to speak on it and speak often. It's been a, a theme all year long. What else did you say? Why did you? Why do we need to have these? Things around all, all around us. All around us, and it could be us too. And it could be us. You know, I think that's the sad part for many of us. We think uh, if you're like me, growing up uh, back in the seventies. Uh, that when you became a Christian, you thought you were going to be perfect because everybody looked so good on Sundays. And yet we're all sinners. And thankfully, through Jesus Christ, we have the hope of eternal life with, with him forever. But we get forgiveness. We have grace. We have mercy. But we still have a Satan, the devil, that's trying to destroy us all. Why? Because of the ripple effect that it could have across the board. And so we got to make sure that we are ready and that we're doing, we're being proactive. So we're going to talk about that. Anybody else have a reason why we should do it? A safe place. A safe place. That's number one, isn't it? A safe place. Even the best organizations still have issues. That's right. The best organizations still have issues. We can't catch them all, and you're going to find out more why as we go through the statistics. What other reason? Why should we have it? Our children deserve it. They sure do. They sure do. As a parent, that's our one thing is to keep them safe, right? So we want that to happen when we go to church, when we're involved in anything with teenagers. Uh, we want to make sure children, all of it, we're in a safe place. What else? Anybody? God wants us to protect his children. God wants us to protect his children. That's right. And this generation of parents, they come to your church wanting to make sure my child's going to be safe while they're in whether it's while I'm in big church and they're in their area of the church, as teenagers, anything that teens are doing, they want to make sure I'm entrusting my children to you. So let's talk about it. The number one reason people say that they don't have to worry is that it's not going to happen to us. It can't happen at our church. But here's the reality. 33% of all girls and 20% of all boys will be abused by the age of 18. 93% know their abuser. That's amazing. 34% are family members, 59% are acquaintances, and only 7% are strangers. Less than 40% of child sexual abuse is reported to police. Less than 10% of that number results in a criminal conviction. So that's a pitiful, pitiful statement to be able to make, that less, less than 10% are even going to be convicted of anything. Uh, because most of it is never reported. More than 40% of abusers were juveniles. 40% of those who are abusing are juveniles. So in teen ministry, in youth ministry, we've really got to have our guard up. And we've got to real focus in on some of the behaviors that we see, but we really don't notice that that would be something we need to be concerned about. And so we're going to talk a lot about that this afternoon. Um, And it says that 14% of the 40% of juvenile abusers were under age 12. It's kind of odd, isn't it? It's gotten younger and younger and younger. Children are most vulnerable between the ages of 8 and 12. That's the age range when majority of those that are abused are being abused. And the, uh, the CPS, Child Protective Safety, finds enough evidence to prove a new claim of child sexual abuse in the U.S. every nine minutes. Okay? So there's repeatable patterns that we need to be aware of in in youth ministry, in children's ministry, in our churches. There was one case, the McMillan case, 10 children were abused by the pastor, the children's pastor. And this was amazing to me to read about and to understand that he did this game with them, hide and seek in the closet. All right? There were people that noticed that. Nobody ever thought, well, not everybody, but majority just thought, how funny, because you play hide and seek with children. But here's the three statements that were made, because um, you don't think that's always going to happen. But this guy was always in the closet with that little girl. That statement was made. They saw the bad behavior, but they didn't know why it was bad. 
They didn't recognize the problem. Another person said, uh, yes, I saw it, and yes, it was a problem, but didn't know who to tell. So that was the second issue that's among our volunteers and adults in our churches. Or I tried to tell leaders, and they dismissed it. Those top three responses are, I didn't have a clue, didn't look right, but didn't know what to do about it because they weren't aware that there was something bad. Uh, the second one was, okay, I kind of knew it was bad, but I didn't know who to tell. And the third one was, well, I went and told some people in authority, but they just dismissed it. Okay, and so we've got to realize that those things are going to happen where we're trying to do the right thing, but we've got to have a plan in place where we know who to tell, okay? We know what to be looking for, and we know that there's got to be follow-up. It won't happen here in a small church. That's what we hear. We all know each other. It's not our problem. Wrong. Okay? 66% do not disclose until adulthood that they were abused. 66% if they ever tell. So here's your bigger stat that I keep hanging on to. One out of four girls will be abused and one out of six guys will be abused before 18. That's not, not good. And we know that. So we've got to do more to prevent it. Um, sexual abusers seek access where the barriers are lowest. And the two places the barriers are the lowest is in the church and in youth sports. They've already figured out that they can come because we trust people, just like y'all mentioned before. We're very trusting. Uh, why does this keep happening? A lot of it is because we don't believe anybody's going to sue the church. So it's, you know, we'll just kind of pretend it'll go away. God will get a hold of them. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he can change a life. But when we've got people that are predators, many of them, their heart is so hardened, they're not even going to hear the Holy Spirit if they're believers. Many aren't, but they're going to pretend to be so they can have access to your children. We're not aware of it because there's something called the grooming process. And this was my big aha moment about a year ago when we started looking at this. All the things that kind of fall under this idea of grooming, it's happening, and we are not even looking for it. Uh, it I, the whole thing is it hasn't changed. It's just gotten easier with Snapchat. You know what Snapchat is? You send something on social media, it's supposed to disappear. So for them, they're like, oh, this is perfect because I can do something. I can send something and there won't be a trail. There is a trail. It can be found, but majority believe this not, especially teenagers. They believe it'll all just be gone away. Uh, children in the youth ministry hasn't changed, but the culture's changed. Culture thinks we know it. We've been hiding it. Most of us don't even know it, that it's going on. Okay, so we've got to understand that they're mad right now. Uh, if you happen to have seen the article in the Houston Chronicle back in the spring, trying to blame Southern Baptist churches for hiding what they know. Uh, but I think it's really sad that we just really don't know because we're not looking for it. Do we care that children are being abused? Yes. And do we do things that help them? Yes. We're trying to prevent child abuse from happening. But our efforts are not related to the risks. You and I will do things when we understand the bigness, the largeness, the, just understand how big a risk this is. Then we'll put something in place. Until it happens at your church, you'll go, it's not going to happen here. Okay, we're all pretty good. But when it happens, you are devastated. We have so many churches in North Carolina where this has happened, and it changes the reputation of that church. Now instead of knowing, hey, that's a church that's doing things in the community, it doesn't matter how much you're doing in the community. Once it enters in into the definition of church, now you are the church that had the youth minister that molested somebody or the pastor or whomever. And that's what, and it takes a long time for that stigma to go away in that community and for your church. We're building a fence. When I was a teenager, how many of y'all, we were so aware of stranger danger? Yeah, that's what we heard. We heard they had commercials, even on the children's program, stranger danger, and they tell you what not to do. And yet the sad thing is stranger danger is only 4% of the abuse situations that happen. So we're prepared for stranger danger. We've built a fence. We're ready. We're going to keep them out. And it's only 4% of the abuse that's going on is stranger danger. Uh, so we've got to decide what's the, the correct fence that we need to build. We've got to understand what is the risk and how are we going to do it. Uh, what we believe shapes what we do. So if we really believe it's not going to happen here, what are we going to do? Nothing. 
If we really believe it's somebody else's problem, it's another denomination's problem, but it's just really not ours, we won't change anything that we've been doing. So we've got to talk about it as well. When we talk about it, then we learn from other people, and we learn things that we've got to make sure we're putting in place. Uh, we've got to change what we've been doing, and we've got to see the pattern that helps prevent the abuse. We have excuses. We just don't have a big enough budget to worry about this. It's just, we got to do ministry. Well, y'all, this is ministry. If we're to keep our children and youth safe, that's ministry. But we put it all in this monetary framework and decide we just don't have enough. Uh, what makes us change? Well, urgency and effort is driven by my understanding of the threat. How big is the threat? It's huge. We just said it. One out of four girls, one out of six guys will be abused. That's a huge threat. So we've got to make sure we understand that it's that big. What does this threat look like? All right, here's just some ideas today. I'm going to tell you that you're not going to be able to spot an abuser by the way they look physically because they look like you and I. But we're going to be able to spot abusers by their behavior. So here's some stats that really blow my mind. This lets you see how great the risk is. Average male abuser will have 150 victims by the time he's caught, if he's caught. Average age of the abuser when discovered is 35. So that means he starts young. Females will have 52 victims, and the average male abuser begins victimizing at 13 and 14 years of age. That's youth ministry. So my burden is knowing this, and we're going to use this stat several times this afternoon. What are we doing to help the 13 and 14-year-old who is going to become the abuser not? That is a big piece of it, because we're looking at what's happened after somebody's abused we got great uh, curriculum out there now. The SBC has caringwell.com. You can get curriculum that your church can go through for free. But it's dealing with those that have been abused. Wonderful. We need that. We need that. But for you and I, in student ministry, youth ministry, we got to start thinking through, okay, if they're starting this under our care, what are we going to do to change that outcome? Uh, what do churches do at present to prevent child abuse? Well, then we start listing a list of things. We have background checks, right? We gotta have those. We gotta have a check-in system for children, but many youth ministries are going into it where they're having them sign in when they come in so they actually know they're in the building and then sign out when they leave. Uh, I visited one church. They actually have a guard on duty because they're a downtown church, and that guard knows what they're doing, watching for it. They've got people that volunteer at other churches that say, I'm going to be in the hall. We're going to watch what's going on. Uh, so they're really preventing that. Our documents will measure our behavior. So if we have a document on it, we should be able to measure what we're doing on that document. Sadly, in youth ministry, we have a lot of documents, and we have rules but sometimes we just don't follow it. There was a church in Florida that is no longer, and this is their story. They had the number of, of adult ratio to students. It was one to eight, okay, uh, when they went on trips, when they did anything. They had to make sure that the uh, adults were over 18 to be counted as a chaperone. You had to go, and this was for a ski retreat, you had to come to the pre-trip meeting your parent would come with you, sign off all the forms so everything's legal. But once they got to the site, you had to go through ski school after you came to a meeting there to find out which students needed ski school. Who And they already knew that. It was on the waiver that was signed. But they wanted the students to realize you can't just go skiing without doing the proper things. They had it all. It was all written down. I mean, if you just looked at their paperwork, excellent. This is what the judge asked him when this one young man ends up going skiing, breaks his neck, and now he's paralyzed. Well, wow, y'all have got the paperwork. Let's just see the list of your chaperones. So they turned in the list of chaperones. They didn't have one to eight. They had one to 12. So here they had the rule, but they didn't follow their own rule. Did the young man come with his parents to the pre-trip meeting? Well, no, the parent couldn't get there. Okay, did the right health forms get signed? Do you have all that? Well, he was coming with a friend. And so the day we were leaving, the health form wasn't uh, signed. So the friend's parent signed the health form. 
I mean, y'all can just hear this getting worse and worse. All right. And then they said, well, when you got there, it said that you had to go to a meeting. Did he come? Well, we think he slept in that we he was exhausted by the time we got there. Everybody just kind of walked out of the room. And even the friend that brought him didn't even turn around and make sure he came with them. Yeah, he missed that meeting. Did he go to ski school? Well, had he ever been skiing? Never been skiing, and he didn't go to ski school. Not one of the things listed on their paperwork was correct, done correctly. And so that lawyer sued, or the suit for that church was $40 million, and they had to sell it all to be able to pay that young man. So forms are good. They should determine our behavior. But if we're not going to follow them, it might be better you don't have a form. And we know that's not true. I had a young man or one of the youth ministers come this summer to camp. I mentioned early here that I helped direct the program at Caswell. We have eight weeks of camp. He didn't bring one form. He didn't bring one medical form. And I said, and how many senior youth group? 35. He was so happy with 35. I said, uh, you don't have permission to have one of those minors in your care. Oh, yeah, the parents told me. Not if it's not written down. Uh, and you can't stay. I said, I'll give you till midnight to get all these forms in. But if you don't have them in, y'all got to leave. And he looked at me. He was so mad at me. I said, it's all in your packet. Everything says what you've got to bring. I'm just shocked that you even took kids off property with not one piece of material. You know, we have to even get them uh, notarized. So it's true. You don't have a thing that says if they got hurt that you can even get them help. Well, we would just call the parent. Do you understand that hospitals now won't see you just by phone call? Okay, so there's all these things, but we got to just make sure we do what we say we're going to do. Less than 10% will ever face criminal charges. All right, so one of the things in the list was that we were going to be background checks. We are heavy on background checks as we need to be. But if less than 10% will ever have a criminal charge, will, will their name appear on a background check? No, it's not going to show up that they have a criminal record. They haven't been charged yet. That's what we think. As long as we do that... That is the highest thing, the best thing we can do. Yes, it is a must that we do it, but we can't stop there. And that's what we've been relying on now for years, is that we'll just do the background check. 95% of abusers have no record, and they know it. So they know you're going to ask for a background check, and they're just fine filling it out because they don't have a record and they're not going to get caught. So what should the churches be doing? That's our biggest question. Number one is the critical character component. Y'all, we, we just bring in anybody. We're so desperate for volunteers. But we got to look at their character. We got to know deep down in, are they people of integrity? Do we see that in their life there's a reflection of their relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I hear it when they're talking? we got to make sure they get that. Character is the framework of belief of who we are in relationship to God, to students, to families, our pastor, and our community. A minister or volunteer who keeps their character above reproach has put in place the best defense against any accusations that come their way. That's by Dr. Alan Jackson, who wrote or co-wrote the book, Protect. This is by YM360. If you are a youth minister, you need this book. It's got so much in here to help you protect the students. This is the newest one that I've been able to find. And uh, I've got some up here for their 10 bucks. I got to pay the convention back if you take it. Okay. Uh, but we want you to have that. But it's knowing that our character is what's important. If we read out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we see what is expected of a pastor. This should be the same thing that's expected of volunteers. And we need to look at that. And it's not about skills that's in those verses. It is about character. It's who they are and looking at that and understanding that. Paul mentions character more than abilities or skills. We answer to God. Psalms 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Out of gratitude, because Jesus has saved me and redeemed me, I work as unto the Lord. I don't work. For you, I work because God has called me into youth ministry and I work because He knows everything and He knows my heart. He knows where I am. Uh, as we model for students a life lived in obedience and grace, students will see how a life lived with integrity is an example of our walk with the Lord. So we've got to be the people of integrity in front of them. When they're looking for uh, us, they're looking for people to trust. They're going to look at your social media account. Who are you on social media? 
Yeah, we fall prey just like the teenagers do. We will say things on social media we won't say to somebody's face. And yet that is a trail that they can see who we really are. I'm amazed at many of them as they apply. Our Be Do Tell staff that helps me all year long, they're playing in the morning for you all in worship uh, here, uh, but they are 25 students that work with me in the summer. I'm still shocked they don't realize that I get on their social media accounts and I look at pictures and I look at who they are and if they really are people of integrity and I see what they comment and it takes me a week just trying to go through all that just to make sure, make sure. But they're assuming, you know, I can do that. We've got to watch it ourselves because they emulate what we do. The biggest indicator of how a student will be in their Christian walk is based on their parents. After that, it's based on the people that are closest to them. So I pray that you and I make that list, that we're close to them. But they're looking to see, are you really who you are? And so we've got to have people of character. That's got to be first when we look at it. We as youth ministers and volunteers are held accountable to the church body of believers as fiduciary trust. That's that big legal term. And it says, I'm trusting you to take care of my children and teenagers. I'm trusting you to do programming that's safe. I'm trusting you to go on a trip and you actually have a help form. I'm trusting you. This all plays into that. Okay. Fiduciary trust, fancy word. We just got to realize it's because they expect us to do the right thing. Reputation is what men and women think of us. Character is what God and the angels know of it. That's by Thomas Paine. And so you realize this is true. You know, my reputation, you might know, God knows me inside and out. So does Satan as far as he knows my weaknesses, and he's going to try to use those as I sin. He's going to try to use that to bring me down because of that ripple effect of what it will do to bring other people down. And so my integrity is that daily I hit my knees and say, Oh, Lord, please know my heart. And if there's something already there, if there's a bitter root in me, would you just cut it off? Whatever it may be, and you pray specifically for where you struggle your lifetime of following the Lord should have some struggles that are no longer struggles because you've already seen God take that away. But guess what? There'll be another one. Just be prepared. I threw a birthday party for 93-year-old Miss Mabel, and I asked her, what would you give uh, advice? What advice would you give to the students in this room? And she said, oh, honey, I accepted Jesus when I was eight. Y'all do the math. I'm 93 today. And she said, that's a long time walking with Jesus. But she said, you know what I've discovered? God's got something new for me to learn every single day. I can go back to the same scripture and read it again. And I'll go, I never saw that. I didn't know it was there. And so we've got to make sure we understand it's our walk with the Lord that's going to count. It's our walk with the Lord that's going to have the biggest impact. Even on the night that Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, he looks at Simon in Luke 22, and he tells Simon, you're going to be sifted because Satan's asked. I'm going to pray for you. And he says this. These are, y'all look it up for the exact words. But he says, when you get through this, I want you to strengthen your brothers. What that reminds me of, number one, Jesus intercedes for me and you. And he is interceding that we will remain strong because Satan will sift us all at different times in our life. And the only way I'm going to stay strong is my relationship with Jesus Christ. My memorizing scripture. Y'all, we quit memorizing scripture in elementary school. We got to bring it back to youth ministry. What happens when something happens in your life? What's the first thing that comes in your mind? Scripture. I mean, I'm just like, oh, that was it. That's the scripture. And that gives me the strength to walk because it's not my understanding. It's Jesus' understanding of the situation. And he will get us through that. And so understanding that Jesus said, I'm praying for you. And when you come through, because he already knew Simon's heart. He knew he was going to mess up. But he also knew he had the strength of character inside that he would remain strong and then he would be able to encourage someone else. That's why we go through those times of testings and hard times is that is when the roots of our faith grow deeper than they've ever been. When my son was told he had cancer and we had 48 hours to get that tumor out, the first thing I remembered was scripture. And it was like, oh my goodness, I can do all things through Christ. Give me strength. That wasn't my first one. But it had to do with our family verse of Joshua 1, nine. This says, be strong and courageous. Do not be scared. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. So he's going with us. And that's what we were telling my son as we were going that day into for him going into surgery to remove the tumor. But also that day, my quiet time was in the middle of the night. 
Isaiah 41, 10, the second part that says that God holds you in his powerful right hand. You can count on that. For my son, Mac, he turned around to his brother and I and he said, well, my goodness, God's got this. He said, somebody had to get cancer, mom. It's okay if it's me because I got a relationship with Jesus. So after this surgery, whether I see you again or I see you in heaven, he wins. That's the attitude, but it's been a lifetime of memorizing scripture, accounting on a scripture and quoting it and knowing it that he in the roughest time of his life could say, not why me, God, but why not me? That's the deal. That's what we're looking for. So character is huge. And then we're going to look at some other things. We've got to understand safety and security priorities, vetting volunteers, policies and procedures, and effective enforcement. So vetting volunteers, that's trying to figure out who's going to come help us. We don't stand up in the pulpit and have the pastor say, we need somebody to change some diapers. Well, they'll all go for that one, won't they? We need somebody to come and help us with teenagers because they're wild, seventh grade boys, somebody help. That's how we kind of do things. And yet that's not going to get the people that we need. We got to make sure we're going to vet them and we're going to do it correctly. Uh, in our convention, we lead a scorecard with Cheryl Marklin, who's our children's consultant, with Mark Smith, who's our family consultant, and myself. And Scorecard is helping you see the vision of birth all the way to college, how we are a handoff ministry. But we're changing the word from being a volunteer to you are a disciple maker. It changes my entire mindset. It changes the mindset of volunteers. If you told them, hey, instead of just being there to change those diapers, do you realize you're a a disciple maker of bed babies this year? Do you realize you're a disciple maker of seventh grade boys? Man, it changes the way you look at it. Because I'm not just volunteering to keep them safe and keep them all heard all together, not wild. Wait a minute, I've got one year to help them grow in their faith with Jesus Christ? It changes how I prepare. I'm not just going to prepare the night before as a Sunday school teacher if you've allowed me to understand what it means to be a disciple maker. So understanding I am there to help them grow in this time frame of their life this year. It's not about me then. It's about them. So we've got to look at the way we, vol- we uh, vet volunteers. So here's the step. You've got to have a church-approved application. And this is something you've got to sit down with. You need a safety and security team, a committee. And this is not going to be the easy part because you don't want to copy somebody else's. You've got to decide what's going to be on our application. You've got to have reference checks and personal interviews. So you don't just say when somebody comes up to you, you know what, God's just laid on my heart and he wants me to volunteer in youth ministry. And most of the time we're like, thank the Lord, come on. And yet we've got to make sure we're doing it right. So having that application, yes, we would love for you to volunteer because we're looking for them. But we do have some policies and procedures that we follow here for the safety of our teenagers, for the safety of our church and for your safety. So I need you to fill out the application, but there's got to be some references on there. There's got to be some people that I'm going to call to find out about. And then we're going to sit down and we're going to have personal interviews. There's a national check of criminal records and sex offenders registry. Yes, we're going to check that, that background check. But we still remember less than 10% ever get convicted. So we know that can't be the only thing. And then the driver's license record. If you're going to have some people drive in your youth ministry, you need to know how many tickets do they have. Are they a lead foot person? That's what my mama always said. She said, are you lead foot or not? And I went, what's lead foot? She goes, you speed. So you got to know those things. Check those driver's license records to know about them. Background checks. There's a national check of criminal records and sex offenders. There's legal. It helps you in legal defense. The word due diligence, a, a lawyer's going to ask you. If you get caught, they're going to say, what due diligence did you do? And background checks at least gets you said, okay, they at least attempted to pick the right people. Uh, only one step in safety and security of children's and youth ministry. Know that. It usually costs you 12 to $20 to do background checks. I would put this in the budget because you know you're going to repeat them. No more than three years. they got to be repeated so you find out. Uh, but just making sure that you know your church is going to incur that expense. That also tells the adults in your church you're serious about keeping people safe. We're not going to make you pay it. We're going to pay it. Okay? You can even get uh, links to some of those where all they have to do is go on with their your code. You don't they don't have to give you their social security number because some of them will fuss about that. But they can go online to whomever company that you're going to do a background check with, they'll give you a code. They go online, fill it out. 
you get the report. Some things you have to remember on background checks too, there'll be some things that pop up and some of it may be before they were Christians. So that's where these personal interviews are going to be huge. Because a best indicator of future behavior is based on past behavior. God can still change somebody. We know that. Okay, we know that. But we got to also just be smart on what we're doing. And uh, should be repeated at least less than three years. Okay, policies and procedures. Why we need them written down? Because of clarity and consistency of understanding. We're all on the same page when something's written. And I've had to sign it and go, I've read this. I get it. It's not just me talking to you like we're having to do today in this seminar uh, because you're listening, but your mind might wander. Uh, this generation, Gen Z, it's, uh, it's proven that their mind wanders every eight seconds. Okay, that's, that's about the timing of a fish. If you look at a fish, they'll be going, and then eight seconds they shake and go over here for a little while. They just don't stick to something very long. They're very visual, okay? But you and I, I might have missed it, but if i got to read it and sign off of it, I'm saying I know your church's policies. And the authority of the church governing body has said, this is what we're going to follow in all areas of our church. So it just gives the continuity that we need in our churches. Uh, who can serve? The two-by-six rule. There's two adults in everything you do. That means in every Sunday school class, that means anything that's happening in a home, and they're not related. Why? If something happened in your church and it is taken to the legal system, their testimony counts as one. So you got to have a third person. It's great that we have couples that are in youth ministry. My fear is when I hear, oh, we brought this whole youth group, just the two of us. They're excited about that, but there's not another person that can verify anything that happens. And again, we're going to be proactive. We're not going to be reactive. We're going to think ahead. We don't ever want this to happen, but we want to make sure we're covered and the child's covered, the teenager's covered, the families are covered, the church is covered. So we got to make sure we have two people. There's a six-month rule for members. So if they join your church and immediately want to volunteer, they've got to at least be in your church for six months. You need to find out. This is where you're going to learn about their character. Are they going to be faithful? Okay, what are they like? What are you hearing them talk about in Bible study? Find out where they're involved. How how uh, dependable are they? Are they there? Knowing you're not going to just put them into play. And then there's a one-year active, uh, if they're active uh, attenders, at least a year, you've gotten to know them. A lot of people will not use volunteers if they're just attenders. And so, again, why is it important? Your church makes your own policies because of that. Y'all got to be comfortable with what you say that you're going to do. In youth ministry, we have volunteers that do all kinds of things, from driving students, uh, from p- having events in their houses. You've got to make sure all these events are covered. So let's say that I'm just one that's going to drive the students to whatever event. Am I by myself? No, there's got to be another adult in the vehicle. Okay, so that may mean more more vehicles, but we're covered. If I get back to uh, the church after taking them on a vent and everybody's gotten their students and they're going home and I'm stuck there because one family, there's always one in there. They didn't show up. Am I going to be there by myself? No, there's got to be another adult that's not related to me that's going to give witness if anything comes up. Nothing we pray will come up, but again, you're covering it. Now, this is kind of daunting already, already when we say two adult rule, because many of you have Sunday school classes, you have one. I have a niece that's uh, going to some new churches right now trying to find the best fit for her family, and she has literally taken three that were supposed to be the strongest churches in her community off the list. Why? In uh, Her children are six, four, and two. In those three churches, one adult had eight to 13 children, preschoolers, one adult. She says, what happens if one gets hurt? What are you going to do? You're not even going to have somebody that can take care of the other children while you focus on the one that's hurt. We're not talking about sexual offense. We're just talking about smart safety rules. There's got to be two. And there's got to be somebody that can give that witness. We think because the teenagers are older, we don't have to worry about it. We still got to worry about it, y'all. We've got some teenagers that are really, really hurting. And y'all know that. You said we're in a broken society or we're broken people. We know that. And many of them are so hungry for attention that they may say something that's not true. Twist it a little bit. It may not have any element of truth in it. But they're just wanting attention so badly, they will falsely accuse you of something. And if you don't have somebody else to back you up, 
It's your word against theirs. And it's not going to be pretty for anybody. Remember the stigma that once you have something happen in your church, it sticks with your church. It also just hurts the Lord and his ministry to this broken world through Jesus Christ. Begin, people will say, and y'all probably seen all the stuff the last week or so, where you go, well, are they really a Christian? Well, or if somebody gets to know the Lord and they've had a really bad past, we even doubt, can you be saved? I'm not going to go there because that's not my place. Only the Lord can verify, but I can surely see evidence in your life. And so making sure we're covering all the places would be best. There's got to be the two-person rule. Policies and procedures. Here's some main points you need to make sure you've got. Some kind of check-in and release system. We have that for children's ministry. We put the name tag on the back. We're thinking we're doing well. We've done the background check. But you've got to also think through with teenagers, are you going to have a check-in system? Do you know that so-and-so came tonight? Because what if a parent calls and says, my student left the house and was coming to youth ministry, have you seen him or her? And your first response is, did I? I think I did. Or you may not even really know their name. It happens, especially if they're a visitor. But if there's nothing written down, you have no record to go, well, let me look. In our checking system, yes, he signed in at this time. Did he sign out? It's a hassle. Y'all, please hear me say that. I know it is. Because it's just another level that we got to worry about. But there's some things that it's going to be worth worrying about because we'll be able to say. We had a young lady that was kidnapped uh, from a parking lot. She never made it in the program. And so they were all in dither, but they didn't know what to do. They never saw her. But they didn't have a check-in system, so they didn't remember did they see her or not. And she was one of those few, again, less than 4% happened with abduction that she had been taken in the parking lot. Uh, bathroom care. you got to have a policy on bathroom care. How are they going to go to the bathroom? Are they going by themselves? Is anybody watching to make sure? The bathroom is the number one place that sexual offense takes place because they'll slip out. Uh, in one of our camps, they have decided this next summer that they literally going to have an adult in the lobby. So while somebody comes out of worship to go to the bathroom, they stay gone a while. They're going to be able to walk in the bathroom. They'll have a female and a male, and they'll walk in to make sure everything's good because other people come in and out. Other people are moving around. And just keeping up with your students, you no longer can just say, okay, we'll see you at five. Y'all just go have fun. There's got to be checking times. There's got to be ways that we're watching them. That's why you're with them on camps and retreats. It's not just a warm body, but it's to help protect them as well. Classroom discipline. Have you got a policy on what you're going to do if somebody's acting up in class? If you've got the two-person rule, that other person could be the one. If you're teaching and you're caught up in teaching, you realize that they're a pain in the Watusi for you. Uh, that's a good way to put it. But you don't know what to do because you've got to keep going with the class. You've got 15 to 30 other students. If you just completely stopped it because you're the only one there, that student just got the attention that they were wanting. But if I've got an assistant, the assistant knows the rules of the room are you need to go over there and talk to them. You need to be able to let them know this is not appropriate behavior. How many times are you going to let them get away with that? Do you have a rule of the room that says after your third offense, we take you and we go find your parents? What if their parents aren't there? Is there an adult that they could go sit with? What can they do? Our pastor uh, in my last youth, full-time youth ministry role said, bring them to me. I'm teaching Bible study for adults. Just bring them to me. And we had that posted in the room. And they were like, that's never going to happen. Well, it did. And little Billy Wish, he had really been reading the rules. He knew the rules. We went over them. Uh, but his third offense that night, it was like, that's your third offense. The assistant walked him, sat him down. And the pastor was in the chapel. And he sat him on the steps in front of the pastor. pastor didn't acknowledge him, but he had to sit there for the rest of adult Bible study. Little Billy's mom and dad were in there. And they're like, are you kidding? Because the parents knew the rules of the room as well. We made sure they knew it. And they're like, we're going to kill him. You know, the biggest thing for him, did I have trouble with Billy after that? No, because he knew it. He said, she's serious. She'll send you right up there. And at the end of the night for the pastor, he said, some of you are wondering why little Billy is sitting at my feet. Billy, did you get in trouble? Yes. How many times? Three. What's the rule of the room, Billy? 
Third time, you got to go listen to the pastor and sit at his feet. <laughs> so it was something, it didn't hurt him. He learned maybe a little more, or he just watched his parents and realized, I am dead meat. I don't know. But it worked, okay? We didn't have trouble with him after that. So know what the rules of the room are. You've got to take care of classroom discipline. The appropriate touch. What is appropriate touch for teenagers and adults? None, okay? Some people still like to hug because this generation loves to hug. Can I hug like this? No, I can do a side hug. I can do a high five and a knuckle bust. My knuckles are sore from this weekend. We had a uh, fall retreat, 800 at Caswell, and I just, I just punch. Uh, but that's what you do. You realize I'm acknowledging you're there. I want you to know I care about you, but I'm also protecting you and myself. All right, so know what that is. Have your policies have that. Uh, what are you doing in large group gatherings? How many adults are in those large groups? Again, what are the bathroom situations if they get up and go out? Uh, small groups, off-site especially. We love small groups because we know that questions can be asked in a safe place. But we're doing more small groups off-site. They're not at the church. So we got to make sure we follow the rules at those places. There's a lot of uh, things that we got to think through in offsite situations, uh, but we got to have policy for those. What are we going to say? What are we going to provide at those offsite locations? And then general information specific to your church's setting and culture. Again, your church has things they want to make sure are followed and followed correctly. Uh, these are some other optional considerations for your policy. Is do you have something about contagious illness? Can they come if they're sick? Now, even in teenagers, they'll still come. Mom said, I got to come, but I got a favor of 103. And all you're thinking is, and we're all going to be sick by Sunday. You know, so think about, are we going to put those in there? What are fire and national disaster evacuation plans for your church? Do your students even know what they are? Do your leaders know? If you actually had an active shooter, what are you going to do? Have you put those policies in place? If a fire breaks out in the kitchen, where do you go? Think about all those things. Expectations of prompt pickup by parents. If you got it written down, maybe they'll catch it. Uh, usually it's the same ones, but just to be able to say, we really need you to be here on time. And I know occasionally there's going to be things come up, but every week, come on. All right, so know what those are. I have them written down. Uh, medication, especially for trips, you need to know what medication are they on. Do you have permission to give that medication? And you're very clear. You may have somebody as a chaperone that's going to serve as your church youth group nurse who can keep up with all of that. But we got to know what they are. If they're food allergies, you got to know what they are. Uh, teacher expectations for arrival and departure times and materials to teach. So if I am a disciple maker in your eighth grade girl class, I need to know that, yes, Sunday school may start at 945, but I got to be there at 930 because I got to welcome those that are coming in early. I need to be a present. But do I, am I there by myself? No. Whoever is my co-teacher, we're both there early and we both stay until the last one goes. Even in youth ministry, we'll have retreats and things. A student may come up to you and want to share during invitation time or just one-on-one counseling time. Don't be by yourself. We have a rule at Caswell. I'm always in the um, counseling room, the place that they can come and talk and share, but I am never left by myself, even as the adult, as a person in charge. There's always two or three staff that stay with me so that we can all support each other and know when did she leave, who did she talk to, all those things. you got to do that on the church side. you got to make sure I'm, I can't just be here by myself. There's got to be somebody else that will verify what happened. And then here's the newest one is cell phone and social media policy. So for your leaders, we know that texting is a great way to get in touch with students. But the rule that I'm hearing that's being broken over and over again is that volunteer is texting that student, but it's just between the two of them. We've already had over these last few years youth ministers that have lost their positions in ministry because the texting crossed the line. Y'all, that is the first part of grooming all right, getting somebody ready to do something else. And so you've got to know that if I'm going to text you as a student, your parent is also in the text chain. So they'll know what I'm asking and what we're talking about. Uh, social media again. Are you going to be able to friend them on social media? What are you going to say? What are you expecting? Think through those things so that you know we've got a policy about that. Are they going to keep their cell phones as they enter the room Sunday school? I say no. Even if they say it's a Bible, y'all can get a cheap Bible at the dollar store. 
put them in a basket when they walk in. So they're not playing on them. They're not doing things. They actually have an opportunity to hear the word of God. And then, cons- yes, sir. Sir, with the cell phone thing, yeah. I'm just curious because I talked to my head pastor about this. And what he had was texting, etc. You have like, since you have a list of what's, what's going on and you can pull those records from the cell phone, that it's okay not to have that. Do you still, like, is it still, do you think it's pretty, like, you think you should still probably add the parent to that conversation and stuff? It does. Yeah, I can see that. It's the accountability. When you're young, because you're young, okay, you're thinking it's all going to be fine. In a minute, you'll see a slide that really reminds us this: the culture that our teenagers are in today, sexting is a given. It's a given. They may send you a picture of themselves. I ended up having to hire, I mean, to fire one of the students I had hired for last summer because he was clued out that it was any big deal that this teenage girl was sending him inappropriate pictures, and he was the youth minister intern. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, so I, I don't say who it was. I'm just saying that's a given. We're seeing that more. But for me, it was the first time to have to say, I can't bring you in because of that. We've got to think through it, y'all. We just think it's some innocent thing. It may be on your part, but our students are in a different world. There's a darkness they're part of. They don't see it as darkness. It's a given. How many girls I counseled this summer? Okay, so we see 7,000 a summer. How many girls I counseled that said, well, I had to send the picture the guys expected. Well, I had to do what they wanted to do on the date because if not, it's going to get out. Nobody's going to want to date me. What a sad world we live in. The expectations are so low. The number one reason that these people that are abusing abuse is pornography. Now, many of them have been sexually abused themselves. But I'm just telling you, if you watch any show and they mention anything about porn, is it from a positive thing? For us, we say no. But for the culture at large, they're like, it's not a big deal. I even had a parent come to me really upset that I had said pornography was not good. And his this was his take to his son. It'll at least keep him pure till he gets married. I'm just like, oh, Lordy, let me help you. <laughs> Purity of mind. Y'all sin starts in the mind. And then it is acted out. Yes, sir. When a, uh, a young person recognizes the fact that if you're going to one-on-one or, or they know they're being recorded or they're under surveillance, do you not find that they are they just as open with what's going on in their life or are they guarded because, hey, somebody else is listening to me, I, I can't uh, unburden myself or open up my heart to you because it's not between me and you. Heaven knows how many people are watching, listening, observing us. The number one reason if you're going to record or surveillance, it's not for some, nobody's in a little room watching it. It's for proof if something comes up. All right, but you've got to let your people in your church know we're not about secrecy here. We're up front. We have the best place of saying we want your teenagers to be safe. And so we're going to provide some things. So yes, now... For a teenager, it calls them into question that they're going to be truthful about what they're sharing. It may be that they don't feel as welcome to share with you because you're in a room that's got the video. But it's your protection. It's their protection. And so for me, when I realize there's an issue, then I would ask them, okay, you and I need to sit and talk, but it won't just be us. Okay, I'm going to bring in another pastor. I'm going to bring in somebody to be a person to watch or to listen. But it's because we love you and want to take care of you. Okay, but I can't let that stop me from providing the best way to be safe in the culture that we're in because there is so much evil there. Uh, Always have another set of eyes. Remember the two thing, okay, the two person rule. But our prayer is that it's not going to stop them, but it will stop a predator because they're going to know, okay, I can't do this at this church. And they'll move on to another church that doesn't have those same safeguards in place. So me, as the, remember the fiduciary, I'm the one saying, I'm going to keep your kids safe. We're really serious about this. We're serious in the application process. We're serious in that if we've got the extra money, things are cheaper now. You can video what's happening in the room. Not for somebody to sit and go, "Uh uh-huh, let's see. No, it's there's an accusation made. Guess what? 
We have that recorded. Let's go find out. Audio would let you hear something that maybe watching you would misunderstand. So I would add the audio. But a lot of people can't afford that. So again, two people in the room, not related, gives you the backup. But even as you're talking to students, it's just harder. But it's just to say we're in this together and we're going to be here to, to talk with you. Yes, ma'am. If you um, form a group text and then you copy and paste that to the parents just because um, it's easier to relate to your group, is that acceptable? Well, that would still be accountability. So they would know that. Whether you copy it and paste it to the parents or you copy and paste it to the pastor, but I would always include the parents to let them know, hey, this is what we're talking about. I just want you to know up front this is what's going on. Uh, in the rules that we have, we are a mandatory reporting state. So you can never tell. If a kid comes to you and says, I'm going to tell you something, but you've got to keep it a secret, you can't do that by law. You have to be able to tell them, I can't keep a secret, but I can help you. Because if it is hurting you, we want to make sure you are taken care of. I don't mean any harm to you. But yes, I am a safe person you can talk to. But just know we can't just keep it between us. Okay, yes. There's options out there that we shouldn't even have to text anymore, really. There's grouping and what does it remind me? Yes. Yeah, me is a great one because you've got the whole group. Yeah, texting doesn't even need to be an option. Right. Where parents and students can just all get in that group together and everyone. They'll all be there. All right, and then minors, supervising minors, don't do it. Steal the two adult rule. Yes, use them, help them become leaders, but don't put them in the room by themselves. Is there an accident? Your insurance probably will not cover the minor that was in charge when that kid got hurt. So check with your insurance company. But again, be smart, two-person rule. I'm about out of time, and I want you to know some things. So you got to look at your area. you got to figure out, are there some places that a, a child, a teenager, could be abused, and we hadn't even thought about it. Do we have everything covered? We built a fence to keep out the predators as far as what we called the stranger danger, but we didn't even worry about somebody on the inside. And the majority of abuse is taking place, remember at the first slide was 74% know their abuser. That's somebody they're acquainted with. They somehow got to know who they are. So we got to make sure we do that. Secure your entries so that you know in this youth group when they come in, we've got the entrance out, but it's not where somebody else can come in and go. We had one situation where a young college student would come in and slip into the youth group. He would come in another door. Everybody else came in this door. He ended up molesting one of the girls by enticing her to come out that door with him. She just thought, oh, there he is. That's so-and-so. Went right out with him. Okay, there's got to be ways that you're looking at that. Have an adult by the, the doors that go in and out. So you just kind of look at things. Uh, non-compliance. A lot of times a, a groomer, a, an abuser will just say, oh, I know the rule says that I'm not supposed to be alone with so-and-so. But let me just tell you, have you noticed they haven't been able to open up? And so I just knew if I just took some time, look at her now. She's more engaged in the in the group. What really came out is he was abusing her every time he was breaking the rules. If you got rules like that, they can be, some people are just, the word that my children can never use, stupid. And some people are groomers getting ready to do something to a child or to a teenager. I don't care where they fall. If they keep breaking the rules, if they break it once, I'm going to talk to them. If they break it twice, you're done. I'm sorry, we got rules in place for a reason. We've told you that, you've signed off on it. We need you to follow the rules because there may be an underlying issue. You and I just really aren't clued in, but we got to know, and they've got to know, we're serious about the rules. We got to make sure they're doing that. And then appropriate volunteer child ratios. Here's the ratios, you'll want to know this, of how many adults need to be with children and teenagers, all the way from infancy up to 18 years old. This is just an overarching idea. For me as a youth minister, I usually like to have one in five if I'm going off anywhere. One in eight, it's really hard for me to keep up with eight. So give me five. At our camp, it's one in eight. Okay, so you choose. You can try. That's again, why do you have your own church policies? You got to decide what you're, you're comfortable with. You make sure, but this is just one of the guidelines that's been given out by Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company so that you would see how many you need, okay? And always supervision of two adults that are non-related. Everybody got that? All right, then, is the space, is the space safe? Are parents comfortable with child providers? This is in a small group, in a home. 
You usually will have a small group. You may hire a teenager to come keep the kids that are in there. You need to look at the space to decide, is it safe? Do we understand? Is there more than one teenager that's going to watch these children? We're in the house and you're thinking everything's okay, but you've got to put on your hat a little bit differently for small group, making sure that there's at least somebody over 18 that's going to help in that room as well. And you are in the same place, but there's still too much secrecy that could happen in a house. Uh, does the church need to be notified of the meeting so that this is a real meeting that's sponsored by the church? And what was your insurance? If someone gets hurt in the house, will your insurance cover? Know those policies. So check with your insurance company. All right. And then uh, have open door meetings or glass in the doors. I was in a church a couple of weeks ago. They had the glass in the door, but they had a curtain hanging up. Another one had blinds hanging up. I'm like, okay, y'all don't quite understand why there's a glass in the door. It's so you're not totally in the dark. Nobody sees what you're doing in that classroom. Yes, you might have the second adult, but there needs to be a way that whoever's doing, and there needs to be a hall monitor, as we used to say in school, somebody that's walking the halls. Just checking everything, checking the bathrooms. One of the policies in the bathroom is that no child goes by themselves to the bathroom. That when they do, the adult's going with them, but this is how it happens. So I'm a female, I'm going to the bathroom as an adult. I'm going to let you go in, but first I'm going to check to make sure nobody's in there. Nobody's hiding out, trying to wait on somebody. I'm going to let you go in, and where am I going to be? Right here at the door. So nobody's going to go in while you're in there. That's a hall person that needs to help us with that. Bathroom's the number one place that abuse is taking place. So we're going to have to think through that. Who's going to be there? You've got some people. There's no way they want to uh, teach a teenage class. But they don't mind serving. You've vetted them. They're going to be great people. Then say, this is the need that we have. Be specific in what you're asking people to do. That will be in your policies and procedures as well. In sleepovers and retreats, this is a new one, and this is one that's really tough but you don't have any less than three people in a room, but none of them share a bed unless they're related. So non-related people do not share a bed, okay? They have separate sleeping bags, they have cots, but you're making sure that not just two people are staying in a place by themselves, all right? There's at least three to help you with that. That is tough, and that's part of what we're looking at in our camp system with North Carolina Baptist. We're trying to figure out how we're going to help with that. All right, then let me just do this. I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm out of time, but I don't, are y'all in a hurry? Can I tell you real quick about the groomer? Uh, I didn't realize it'd take us this long to get to the groomer. This was a thing that we got to realize. A groomer's going to come in, and they're going to try to do two things. They're going to groom you as the gatekeeper. You're the adult that's in charge of the teenagers. They're going to be your best friend. They're going to all of a sudden be the best volunteer you've ever seen. You didn't know them six months ago, but you got them in there now. You're watching because we want those adults that are helping with teenagers to seek out those that are loners. That's one of our goals. I want you to look for those that are loners. But your purpose of doing that is to bring them in the group. You're looking for them. You're wanting them to feel they're a part of what's going on. A groomer, opposite. They're going to find the loner, and their first thing to do is try to separate them from the group at large because they're trying to win them over here. For many youth ministers, this is a scenario that I have been aware of for years as I talk to those that have crossed the line. They talk about how they got to know the age group that they're interested in molesting. They know everything about them, whether it's a child, whether it's teenagers. They can be the coolest person you've ever seen. And you'll look at them and go, aren't they the best with that age group? It's wonderful, but you've got to know the underlying reason. Are they pulling those children or those teenagers along by themselves? For males in youth ministry, many times the approach is through texting. That's why we talk about texting being a big issue. But it could just be at a retreat. As a male youth minister, I'm walking up to a young lady. I've already noticed she's a loner. I know all about her because in youth ministry, we share very deeply. I know that she struggles with certain things. And so I'm going to go up to her and I'm going to go, hey, you know, I'm a guy and I'm trying to reach these girls in youth ministry. And I just want to know, would you mind if occasionally I just run some ideas to you and you just tell me, would, would girls respond to this? Majority, I'm a loner. Remember, I don't quite fit. You just affirmed in me that you see something in me I don't even see in myself. And so that groomer will continue on that path and they will just say, oh, I just love the fact that you're always here. I, I just think it's amazing what you're doing in our group. Then they'll cross the line. They'll start texting. 
there'll be a comment that's made. It may be that he says, I don't know if you saw what so-and-so was wearing, but I am so proud of you that you're more modest in your clothing because you've got a beautiful body. Just cross the line. Okay? That groomer is trying to see what that young lady's going to do. If they push back or not, if they don't push back, guess what? He feels like I've got an open door. So then the next conversation will be more about nudity. It may be that I saw so-and-so, whatever, but you're affirming in this young lady that I'm just proud of you because you're not like that. Then it'll be one of the things I love is just all the pictures that girls are sending today to guys. I wouldn't mind for one of those pictures. That young lady feels like she's in a relationship with you because girls, all about relationship. You've affirmed me. You've been giving me advice. You've been helping me. That, in my mind as a teenage girl, is we've got a relationship. So I don't mind sending you a picture of me in my bathing suit. But then it'll just keep going from there. Y'all, it gets gross when you think about it, but this is what a groomer would do. He starts out like any other person, but there's a uh, his end game is totally different than yours and mine. His end game is to completely isolate that young lady and be able to convince her she's beautiful, she's lovely, but then the nudity starts taking place through Snapchat, through texting, and then it just gets worse. A lot of times they won't even uh, approach the person one-on-one until you're on a retreat or an overnight event, and they realize now we're away from mom and dad and we can do whatever. And you know what happens if somebody finds that text for that young lady? She will defend that person all the way to the bank because she'll say, no, no, we're in a relationship. It's not what you think it is. It really isn't. Because she has been groomed all along to believe that he loves her and he wants the best for her. And all he's doing is watching out. With a man, uh, man, uh, with young boys, it goes a little bit differently in that they will find out, hey, have I, have I heard them talk about their drinking some on the weekends? So, you know what? We'll plan a sleepover as a youth ministry, but this guy will plan it. And he'll already have been watching and listening because what do we do on, in youth groups? We share where we're struggling. That groomer's paying attention. They know alcohol's part of it. They'll bring extra beer. They'll invite some of these guys. Hey, come on, let's go for a hike. On the hike, they'll give them alcohol. It's okay, guys, because you're with me. He's already heard they've been drinking it, but he's now been the one that's giving it to them. The next trip, he'll give more. The next trip... Guess what happens next? He finds out weed might be a a possibility. So he says, y'all want to try that? He'll bring that. What's happening in every step of that way? Their guard is down. Because this is a guy that likes them. But you know what else has happened? It's called a hook and a double hook. He hooked them in first by wanting to have a relationship with them. He double hooked them when he gave them something that is wrong. He broke the rules. And now for them to fess up and say, I'm not comfortable with this anymore because in our wrestling, he's getting a little bit more physical. He likes to watch us when we go take showers, all these other things, because you know what's going to happen? If I tell my parents, I got to also tell them, well, I've been drinking alcohol on some of these trips. Uh, Yes, I've tried marijuana. So you've double hooked them that they're not about to say a word, and he knows that. Before long, it'll continue and cross the line. That's what a groomer does. For you and I, he gets to know us, and he's the best volunteer. We can't think of anything different. We want them in our ministry, but they've got an underlying thing. So what do we got to do? Background checks checks are still huge. But number two, I got to be watching. I got to have my radar up. So does everybody else in your church. So you got to do a training so everybody's on the same page. Every youth leader in your youth ministry has to understand these are our policies, these are our procedures, and if you break them, you're done. But we want you here. We're going to find out who you are. We're going to watch you. We're going to have safeguards. We're going to have two adults in everything that we do. You'll never be alone with a teenager, okay? You'll never be alone with them. And so you're making sure you're putting these places. Even the hall monitor that I was calling them, if I'm standing at the door, there still needs to be somebody else that's going to walk the hall to make sure I'm still standing at the door because I could have been the groomer. I volunteered. I'll be the hall monitor. I'll be the one to walk them to the bathroom. Okay, we laugh at some of this and we go, this is just, this is just not going to happen. One in four girls and one in six girls is going to happen too. Okay, they know 
people and their guards are down. In the church, our guard is the lowest because we trust people and we think you're here because you want to know more about God and to make his word known. We don't realize that underneath for many of them, there is a sickness that we can't even understand ourselves, and they have one thing in mind, to get a teenager away. Now, let me real quick tell you, 300% of peer-to-peer rapes have started. 300% in the last five years. They are attacking each other. Again, our culture is so sexualized. Again, it's a given that you're going to swap nude pictures with one another. All these things are a given. We have aggressor Teenagers out there, they're going to go some with somebody that's younger. They may be stronger, all those things, okay? So there's a whole list of things. Let me just tell you, I want to make sure you have the list of who you can contact. Uh, there's also a list up here that I've got five steps to protecting our children. It's an article from Darkness to Light, a great website that you can go on and find all kinds of rules and things to help you. This is going to be up here in this last chair, uh, just making sure you've got those things. Ministry Safe has the best uh, material out there. I can't legally give you this, but they have forms for everything you would need a checklist for how to vet volunteers, every form you need. But you need to get it off of Ministry Safe, all right? Um, This, again, will be a podcast, but if you really want my PowerPoint, because there's still several slides you need to be aware of, if you will email me, my email is mjohnson at ncbaptist.org, right up here on the front of the presentation. That's it, mjohnson at ncbaptist.org. I'll be glad to send you the PowerPoint. You could use it in training in your own church, That would be wonderful. God bless you. This is a a huge deal. But if we're not protecting our children, our teenagers, we are missing ministry in a big way. Thank you all very much.